these guys survived the David Kahn era of Timberwolves basketball and live to tell about it. It's Flagrant Howls. Is this the happiest you've ever been as a Timberwolves fan? The first two <laughs> weeks of the regular season? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Like, I'm, I'm trying to, I know that there's people that, there are, there are just a segment of, not Wolves fans, I think just anyone that love to consume, like, hate porn of whatever their topic is. Like, they just want to, like, listen in and be like, oh, yeah, they're ripping them just like I rip them at home. Like, I That's don't. That's what Purple Daily turns into sometimes. I, feel like. <laughs> I was, uh, I was. I had a bunch of different people, friends and stuff that were at. Did you go to the game last night? I was I was at the Celtics game Monday. I was watching from okay. home last night. I had a variety of different people work for the team, don't work for the team, fans, friends, whatever, that went last night. And uh, I'm not going to use the term high watermark again because I know that I got some people's panties in a bunch. But uh, yeah, for, I've been very critical at times of all levels. I think you have two of the organization. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, hey, game ops, could you do that a little better? Could the jerseys be a little better? The court... Every single aspect of what happened last night at Target Center from the jerseys being the the best. I mean, Michael Grady is trying his damnedest to get those things to be the, the all 82 jerseys, and he's yeah. so right. Uh, the court was 10 out of 10. Bringing back that old school howler uh, from the 90s is like a cool. Right. I've, I've always been someone that's like, can we stop doing the half-size golf towels on chairs? Like, no one uses those things. Like, let's be more creative. Um, the game, they pummeled the team from start to finish. Just every, every, the the pregame video, if you see it tweeted out, just every aspect of last night was done to a T, and every single person that gets a paycheck from them that go like just is commended. So uh, I'm sure they will lose more games, and we will have people oh, we want to fire and trade and throw into the lakes. But uh, last night was about as good as it gets, and I'm just really happy again. I know... Someone told me the other day it's millennial entitlement to say that fans deserve good things, but uh, I think the fans really do deserve what happened last night, and Target Center is a tough place to play. Dude, and then I was I caught some of Bill Simmons' podcast. This is before last night's mm-hmm. game. I think he put it on a Tuesday, and he did his he just ranked 30 NBA teams. He did his like power rankings, and so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll listen. We'll st- we're starting at 30. We'll we'll see. We'll probably have to go a little past halfway to get to the Wolves on Bill Simmons because Bill Simmons has been very hard on the Timberwolves traditionally. Dude, he had him fifth. Yep, the fifth best team in the NBA. And his words, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but his words were, uh, "They are absolutely legit. This is not a fluke, and you can write it in pen." Yeah, the Timberwolves are the sleeper team in the Western Conference and in the NBA. And I think Ryan Rosillo on his latest pod had them as contenders. Zach Lowe had them winning multiple playoff series. I mean, just it's almost for years, Phil, when I got into the blogging game, I was just like, man, I wish, you know, this crappy product that I watch and cover, I wish someone would just acknowledge it and give it some love. And it's like, well, they don't deserve love because they're terrible. And now everyone acknowledges them. And I'm, I find myself uncomfortable because everyone's like, yeah, they're really good. I mean, I've seen weird models or not IG models, but like computer models that are like, they have a 99.9% chance to avoid the play in. I'm like, I don't know. It's November 9th. Like, but that's we... not factoring in like Timberwolves history, too. There right, needs that's... to be like a Timberwolves history tax on any sort of like a filter. Right? Yeah. They like yeah. To click it. And it's like, well, actually, you know, <laughs> someone could uh, make out with someone at a soccer game or something. So there's a lot that could still happen. But um, so far, so good. They're what? Five and two. Haven't lost at home. They wrote their they took care of business for better or worse. And now they go on a pretty tough road trip. I mean, San Antonio, if you it was kind of fun because last night on ESPN, I don't know who still has access to Bally's or whatnot, but uh, 
if you just watch the national games, the Spurs were on, that's the Wolves' next opponent, and then the Warriors were on, that's the next two opponents after the Spurs mm-hmm. game. And uh, both teams, I don't know, I mean, the Warriors are the Warriors, but they're so small. They play such a small lineup. And then the Spurs are just bad. Like, Wemby's fun and does some things, but... The they, they're giving hand- up. They gave up like a buck fifty three to the Pacers a couple games yep. ago, right? The it's- Wolves should handle the Spurs like they did the Pelicans. Like, yeah, we respect you, but we're going to beat you by thirty. So, all in all, yeah, this is a. I, I will say again, I also was told that I got to stop complaining about my tummy aches or whatever. But uh, I think I've been sick every day. The Wolves have been on a five game or four game winning streak, so I might just. We just have need to, to make sure some rock, some die. raw chicken, like once every two weeks for you. I think is what needs to happen now. I will, have, I will have a cold for five months if it means the Wolves win 50 games. <laughs> I will just, I'll do it. I will you, continue to consume NyQuil and other sorts of over-the-counter and under-the-counter drugs. Do you think, you know, to, to the point about the national media is now no longer looking at them as like, oh, this is kind of, this, this is kind of a team to watch. I mean, like, it's full buy-in from some, some previous skeptics, right? Is it a hot take to suggest the Wolves could be this year's Denver Nuggets? I, and, and I'll preface that by saying... This is a generally optimistic show here, Flagrant Howls. I think we both try to bring kind of a fan perspective. I know I go on my Carl Anthony Towns <laughs> rants and I get pissed about things and call people clowns once in a while. And then you set me straight and whatever. <laughs> but but even us, like this is a, an optimistic leaning show. And in our conversations, it's been about, yep, top six seed. Maybe they can flirt with 50 wins and then win a playoff series. Like, I think that's kind of the furthest we've gone with our tone, right? Boy, if they can hit 50 wins, if they can avoid the plan and then maybe win a first round series in like six games, that would be awesome. But is there another level or two to this thing after watching the first handful of games that we aren't accounting for? Is it a hot take to say that, no, this dude, like this could actually be a team that goes to the Western Conference Finals or further? Uh, again, listen to me, the one who is always painted with the most optimistic brush. Like, I do think if we're driving from point A to point B, we should acknowledge the milestones or, you know, the mile markers between there. Like, the Nuggets won the championship and the Wolves have won five games. Uh, I, I will say last year, I don't think they were ever more than two games above five hundred. And they're already three games above 500. So we're starting to see mild, small sample size improvements. But uh, I think anyone who hears your question, Phil, is going to be like, you're so drinking the Kool-Aid. Raging Homer. Raging Homer, yes. But there was a comment last night. I really, as much as the, I I will say this, I found myself bored last night with the game, which is a feeling I've never had before. Because I was like, (laughs) oh man, they're just going to win this game. So I was more excited for post-game stuff uh, in the locker room. Obviously, all the people that are, covering the team on a day-in-day basis that go in and do the interviews and record the videos. But uh, Shake Milton had some really cool stuff that you can go find it on Twitter, on, on YouTube. He said he's never played on a team this, that's this unselfish. Um, you don't really hear guys always say that. I mean, Shake just came from Philly that had some pretty good teams. I, I wouldn't yeah. say that that team was unselfish when guys like Embiid and Harden kind of dominate the ball. But to spin this all back to the Nuggets thing, you're starting to see not only do they have an identity of defense, but they really do share the ball. And that's obviously like the Nuggets persona is just kind of all five guys contributing. Um, I still want to see them beat bad teams more often like they did last night, but I don't know. I mean, I, I really, going back to that 99.9% chance or whatever, this team is just way too good, uh, barring injuries, of course to be in the plan. And if you're saying, okay, then they're in a top six, 
you start to look around the West a little bit, and I know it's two weeks in, but uh, I don't know how many other good teams there are. And if Target Center is this crazy, I mean, that's I just keep going back to the fans are going absolutely bananas. If Target Center is a real home court advantage and you get a top four seed, uh, I don't think there's any reason that this team, based on a real concrete identity of defense and not paper mache jacking up threes, uh, that they can, that they can do what the Nuggets did, play with size, play with continuity, good coaching, star player, uh, depth. I mean, the Nuggets were pretty deep last year as well, so... Yeah, I think it's a good question. I know I just took four minutes to answer it, but uh, no, dude. And I just, I just created. Uh, I'm just, I just, like, I'll just take notes as you're talking sometimes. Because <laughs> what you do is you create fun side streets for us to go down here. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna. I want to go down the Western Conference depth side street in a second, but to the Shake Milton stuff. First of all, welcome to the season, Shake Milton. Last yes, night, he yes, did a great thanks, job. Shake. You know, at some shake, point, shake, shake. this this team. If, if he's not serviceable, this team's not really that deep. Like you got, he's got to be part of the, the equation here. And so, especially if Jordan McLaughlin's going to be out for a while again, like they're going to need some ball handlers. So to see Shake Milton join the party was good. But to his point about he's never been on a team this unselfish, think about where he came from. And the, and the Sixers have been a really good team, but he's coming from a team in which James Harden's one of the most selfish players in NBA history. And Philadelphia was trying to get him to be like, just be like a little less selfish because you're not as good of a player as you think you are when you're just that ball dominant. And and then so then he leads the league in assists and he's like pissed about it and complaining about how they tried to put me in a box. Like, no, they just tried to get you to be a better all around player. And then Joel Embiid, I think, is selfish in a sense that like you throw him the ball and it's probably not coming back. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Yeah. Like it works. For the Sixers. Yeah. On this team. You now have, and I do have a pie chart, uh, a pie chart of praise we're going to get to for why this team feels different than last year's team. And so I'm, I'm going to give you a couple nuggets from there now. But the superstar, Anthony Edwards, is now actively looking to, it's like a game for him now to get other guys going. You can see it. You can see like where in the previous couple of years, he'd drive the lane and just like go one on three and try and jump over somebody or take a contested shot. Now it's like you can see the gears grinding. How can I get, Jade McDaniel's open right now. How can I get Mike Conley a wide open shot? Like when the superstar of the team is thinking that way, it's a game changer. You think about the other guys in the starting line. Mike Conley is a facilitator, pass first, organizer, point guard. D'Angelo Russell was kind of the opposite. He was like D'Lo secretly wanted to, or maybe not so secretly, wanted to be the hero that scored 25 or 30 points every night, but he wasn't good enough to. Two other guys in the starting line, Rudy Gobert and, and Jade McDaniels are actively looking to do the dirty work that no one wants to do, right? Clamps defense, rebounding, shot blocking, contesting every shot. So it's like the DNA of this team is now unselfish defensive players who do dirty work, unselfish superstar player who wants to get other guys involved, unselfish point guard who wants to make sure the whole drink gets stirred before he gets his own, right? So I it makes sense. It's a it's a different vibe than maybe it's been, you know, the you know. Even last year, I think some of the same components were just a little more selfish, and they seem to be buying in on a different level this year. And there's 42 different things you can point to that, as a fan, you might enjoy. Right? Like I said on Tuesday, that I like cheering for a team built around defense and offense. I just think it signals maturity, it signals togetherness, and all that stuff. But this, the reason that you would be bullish, and to go back to your Nuggets thing, is like that they can really do something special and not. Charlie Brown football you like they have done to fans so many other seasons is that like last night for example Nikhil doesn't score takes one shot has eight assists off the bench you don't yeah. 
see that a lot. Like, Shake came to the party. Uh, I, Nas Reed, I think, only had, what, nine points last night? Kind of a slower Nas night. But then you get 23 from Carl, uh, who basically played the same type of offense that he did on Tuesday, but he just kept letting them fly from three, and they started to go in. And that was – I was talking to my dad about this this morning. Like, if I just – if you if you miss the Timberwolves game now, and you know that they're really good at defense, and you know they're super deep, and they're well-coached, and they have Ant, if I just texted you in the morning after a game and said, hey, Carl scored 30 last night, you're probably like, oh, they definitely won that game because mm-hmm. they get just that's an extra thing they have now that they can add. Like, can Carl get 30? Can they do this? Can the bench give them 40 points? So there's just so many things for other teams to have to scheme against. And I mean, you, the season is long, but it moves so fast that, I mean, we don't really have a lot of time to digest what we just saw. We got to move to the next game. And for these NBA teams, like, in a playoff series, it's going to be different when you just play the same team over a week and a half, two weeks. But for now, there's just so many different iterations that this team can do, so many lineups. You can tell Finch is still experimenting with like, oh, I'll play yeah. Nikhil, Mike, and Ant for a little bit. Or I'll play, you know, I thought it was funny last week when Finch didn't even remember that he played Nas, Carl, and Rudy That's at the same right. time. So I think yeah. he's still going <laughs> to tweak things, figure them out, figure out who he can trust, who works well together. But yeah, Shake Milton was awesome last night. I think Carl was awesome again, too, just... They didn't really need a lot from Jaden. They didn't. I think Mike Conley had twelve, which is you know better than he did against the Celtics. But they just they didn't need much from their bench. They're like, oh, we'll just hit you this way, this way, and on on Friday we'll hit you that way and that way. So really exciting stuff and a lot of options that kind of supports our idea, right? That this is the deepest team they've ever had and probably one of the deeper teams in the league. Yeah, and and just back to like the original premise of the question too. It's like, is it a hot take to say that maybe maybe the Wolves are the Nuggets? Where it's it's I'm, what I mean by that is sort of a team that. At the start of the year, people respect like that's going to be a solid team, but very few people are saying that's the champion. That is like a dominant champion of the NBA. The Nuggets process did take seven years from the start of like the Malone Jokic era at you know Jamal Murray. It took seven years for them to win the championship. They even didn't they go to the Western Conference Finals in the pandemic? I want to mm-hmm. say against mm-hmm. the Lakers, and so it. it the Wolves are kind of in, I guess, year three of the Finch process. And then yeah. uh, Tim Connolly came along and, and then the Gobert trade. But like the Finch, Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns part of it is is in its third year. So and that's usually how long it takes. If you look at sort of superstar arcs and championship arcs, very rarely is it like, oh, the Spurs were bad for a year and Tim Duncan came along and they win a championship. Usually it's like a six, seven, eight year process the superstar in, in question is 27 or 28 years old, and then they go on their, their run. But I just I just wonder, I guess. It's something to keep an eye on. It's a super homer take. I understand it, but like, I want to leave room for this team being better than what we optimistically even thought like two weeks ago because they look better than I thought two weeks ago. Yeah, and last night, again, it was funny kind of following along on Wolf's Twitter yesterday because you wake up on Wednesday morning, and your favorite team plays Zion Williamson and the Pelicans. And you're like, oh, that could be a tough one. And then Zion was ruled out for personal reasons. And I think most fans, myself included, were like, okay, this game just got tougher. Because it's it's playing against a, a B squad for the Pelicans. And the Wolves yeah. always play down to their competition. But one of the ways the Nuggets were kind of classified last year was just the classic well-oiled machine. That's what you saw last night from the Wolves. I know the first quarter, maybe they kind of threw punches back and forth. But... This, this defense that they're bringing to the table every night, you saw it last night in that run in the third quarter where, I mean, 
we do need to talk at least a couple of minutes about just the highlights of Nas Reed spinning and throwing it to Nikhil and Nikhil throwing it off the glass and A-Rod's Dude. talking about how great Minnesota fans are during the whole thing. It, it was one big circus last night, but uh, that you go back and watch like the first three minutes of game action after that sequence, the Pelicans just look depressed. And it, I, that's why I love defense because it's, it's easy to just challenge yourself to be like, hey, we just got to go score 140 now. Let's try to shoot hot. But when you know you're coming into something that's going to grind you down and they're going to be long and connected and on a string, it's yeah. just really – I know people love analytics and you're always more analytical than I am, but I always just love the personal mental side of it because that's the stuff we don't really know, but we can kind of infer and guess. It's exhausting. And it's exhausting. It really sucks. Like it's only going to get worse, right, as Minnesota winters get colder. But when these teams got to come in and the stadium's going to be – I think they've had – Shout out to A-Rod here, but I think they said they've had five sellouts to start the season. Yeah. If the building's going to be rocking and it's going to be cold outside and you know you're going to have to try really hard to execute on offense because the Wolves' defense is going to be tops in the league, that sucks. Teams are going to teams used to come here and be like, oh, we're definitely getting a win and a good meal on the way out. Teams might look at this as just like, we're just going to rest our guys because it's an auto loss. And uh, that's cool. And I'm not used to that and I'm uncomfortable and I'm nervous to like talk about you- it. Yeah, like it sounds so clownishly homer to be like coming to Minnesota is an automatic loss. Dude, they're undefeated. They've played. Boston has one loss, right? Denver has one loss. Boston has two losses now. But those are like they've they've lost three games total, two to the Timberwolves in the first couple weeks. And also like, go ahead. And and you and I can do like I I'm very much open about like being a fan, right? Like I'm not a journalist, but uh. We can be pro when it's good and negative when it's bad. But the one thing, and I'm unapologetically just now pro Finch. That's just my stance until the ship goes down. Uh, when you hear him after games, he's not talking like us, <laughs> right? He's no. like, it, he's kind of oh, pissed about like, yeah, why they're not better. <laughs> that, I love that. He's like, yeah, okay, whatever. We played a B squad in the Pelicans, but we did this wrong. We didn't do this right. Like he, yeah. he really epitomizes too, like the deal of stuff of never too high, never too low. So he has constantly said we need to stack these types of performances. He knows how immature this team can be and has been. So if the guy behind the scenes is not, I think even Rudy had a cool quote to, to Jace Frederick about how last year's coaching staff was kind of calling out players publicly for their BS. Mm-hmm. Um, and how Rudy's like, that's really important to build like a real culture is like, He's not sugarcoating it. There's no kid gloves with any of us. Even if you think maybe they have kid gloves with Carl or something, they're having those talks behind the scenes, man. Like, stop shoving people. Stop going Heisman mode when you drive. Stop showing up the refs. So I just, from all top to bottom, from A-Rod all the way down to whoever's cleaning the jerseys, like, they start to get it. And you don't build culture in a day. You and I are big heat culture guys. But there is some real culture being built here. And I thought, again, going back to Shake Milton, He's played in a couple spots. He's seen a lot of different teammates. He's like, this is the least selfish team I've ever played on. That's that's not nothing. Yeah. Uh, Flagrant Howl's culture. We should put together a list of like, what are the four core culture competencies of Flagrant Howl? Caffeine, Sudafed, Salmonella. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, on the Western Conference front real quick, just to go back mm-hmm. down that side street from from before. So you kind of you kind of phrase it. I don't want to steal your words, but like like who's even good after the Nuggets? And I, I would characterize it this way. There's only like so there's what 10, 11, 12, what are 15 teams in the West, right? There's like three bad teams out of 15. The Grizzlies without John Morant are bad, mm-hmm. and they're gonna be bad for the 25 games he's suspended. Probably enough. They're one and seven, dude. 
and maybe they pick it up a little bit in his absence, but that suspension is essentially going to prevent them from being a playoff team un- yep. unless they really get their act going. Utah is bad. Uh, Portland, and, but some of these teams aren't like, you know, historically bad. They're just like, they're teams that you're probably going to beat at home if you've got your wits about you, right? Once you get like past those three teams, the Lakers, I know the Lakers are three and five. They got LeBron James, Anthony Davis, like any given night, that team can flip a switch and turn it on. I'm not saying they're going to win the title, but like you wouldn't look at the Lakers on the schedule and say automatic win if LeBron James and Anthony Davis are playing. The Spurs, not a great team, but they've won three games in their first eight. And Wemby, they've got some good young talent. It's Greg Popovich. I, I wouldn't call that a gimme game. It's not a garbage team. Clippers, we'll see if those guys can stay healthy. The Kings were like historically great offensively last year off to a slow start. Pelicans, if I, I guess what I'm saying is if all these teams are playing at their peak, the West is really hard. But there's so many questions about all these teams like the Lakers aren't going to stay healthy and they've got. LeBron James has been in the league for 20 years. Like, you can't keep playing that guy 38 minutes, can you? Uh, the Clippers, can all three of those stars stay healthy? The answer is usually no. Pelicans, Zion Williamson's only played like 25 or 30% of the available games in his career. Um, I would say Golden State, awesome. Chris Paul looks like a good fit. Just looking at the box score, and you're reminded that Steph Curry's 35, dude. Clay Thompson's 35. Like, it's weird in that I think there's a lot of good competitive teams in the West that can beat you on any given night. But in terms of like top of the line teams that are going to be for sure in the championship mix, I didn't mention the Suns either, but they've had injury issues. There's no reason why the Wolves can't state claim to the second best team in the West behind Denver if they stay healthy and they keep doing this and play defense like this the whole season. That's my yeah, Western and, Conference take. <laughs> and listen. I know we called the Denver Nuggets Purdue less than a less than a year ago. I uh, called them a fake one seed at one might point. Might have missed sure. on that one. Yeah. We'll scrub the internet <laughs> of that. But uh, no, I mean, even like you just kind of go up and down. And I've always planted my flag on this a little bit that as everyone in the summer, I mean, in the summer, everyone does this, right? Like the couple things we talk about is how everyone's in better shape. Everyone adds muscle and how the Western Conference is going to be tougher than ever next year. And then you get a couple weeks in and like, and it's hard. If you're a fan, no one has enough time to watch all these games, but you can go peruse and see recaps and stuff. Like, the Clippers are bad, and they don't have a lot of options. Like, some of these teams are not only old and kind of stagnant, but they also don't have a lot of ways to pivot and make themselves better. And if you're Tim Connolly, like, I know you're facing second apron stuff and all that jazz moving forward, but, I mean, I saw yesterday... uh Keith Smith, who does a lot of stuff for like spot track and does salary cap guru stuff is like, there'll be five teams next summer that have salary cap space. So like a lot of teams are in the same predicament that the wolves are. The wolves just have younger, better players mm-hmm. uh, and more continuity. So yeah, these teams like, I mean the, the Pelicans right now are pretty much one of the most injured teams in the league or have the most guys missing. But if you don't get that continuity now in the season, these teams don't get to practice like ever anymore. So the Clippers have to figure it on the fly. The Suns have to figure it out on the fly. The Pelicans are injured. The Kings are starting to kind of show a level of regression that I think a lot of people expected. It's like you were the healthiest team last year. Now you get a couple bumps and bruises to like Garen Fox and you're going to struggle. So just for Minnesota, again, I'm trying to be the cynic almost like they're five and two. Just can you've beaten the best of the best. You've showed that you can beat Boston. You show that you can beat Denver in the regular season. You've also beaten some of the worst. Like I think the Pelicans and what they threw out there last night was one of the worst teams in the league with that roster. Um, 
now I'm excited to see them play teams like the Warriors or kind of middle tier teams and be like, Golden State, the Clippers, they're really small. Dallas can play really small. Uh, can you know? Does size matter? Like, does that really going to be a thing? And can you beat those teams? So this upcoming road trip is going to be as fascinating as this homestand was, and we'll know a lot more about them in a couple weeks. But again, credit to them because yesterday seemed like the biggest trap game of all time, and they pretty much executed their plan flawlessly. Uh, maybe to nitpick, Finch was playing his guys a little too late in the fourth. But uh, outside I, of that, I get the PTSD, though. I get it. Like, no 20 point lead is safe until they. Pr- I think he's doing it to prove a point. When you guys stack a number of these and hang on to a number of these leads, then I will. St- I'll, I'll sit you with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. Dude, Denver. Yeah, it was the Denver game a week ago. Denver waved the white flag with like six or seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. And the Wolves left their starters out for another like two or three That's minutes, true. another yeah. rotation. That's he's true. like I- Denver's like, all right. We're good. And Finch was, is like, I don't trust it. I think it was a 24-point <laughs> lead with like 5.30 left. And I saw Jaden was checking back in. And I was texting a couple of my buddies like, what are we doing? But uh, yeah. it probably is not a great sign for like a guy they like Leonard Miller. It. He's probably <laughs> never going to play. I mean, Josh Minot last night in a game that's 30 points for most of the game got like four minutes. But, uh, you know, stay ready so you don't have to, to get ready. But, uh, yeah, just the, the the ability for Finch to have all these different options and to trust so many of these different guys and to kind of see them finish the game strong like they did last night. I mean, they again, the, the signature play, well, the signature play was throwing it off the glass, but yeah. the other signature play was getting another steal, getting in transition, windmill dunk, Finch call the timeout immediately, but uh, impressive stuff, impressive exactly. stuff. But yeah, real, real test coming up. I think this might be one of their longer road trips, uh, and it's against primarily good teams or exciting teams. Hey, before we get to this pie chart of praise, the Rock knows how you feel about pie. A shout out to our friends over at Modest Brewing, a yeah. tap room in the North Loop right down the street from Target Center. So the Wolves are going on the road here, but if you're thinking about where can I pregame or postgame before or after a Timberwolves game, Kyle? Well, starting uh, Monday, November 20th against the Knicks, Wednesday, November 22nd, uh, I believe that's drinks giving right against Philadelphia. You got Friday the 24th, big homestand after that. Don't forget about modest in the North Loop for pre and post action. We'll get you out there when you come back to town. Drinks giving is just maybe the most underrated holiday. I think we're, as for those who don't know that we're talking about the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Maybe get off a little early from work if you're lucky enough. Go out, have a beverage or six. And then you know that I'm going to wake up hungover, but I'm waking up to like mashed potatoes and turkey right around noon. So. It's going to be glorious. Great yeah. day. With a, and drink responsibly, of course, yes, at Modest please. Brewing. Modestbrewing.com to find their current selection here. So I have for you. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. A pie chart of why does this year's Timberwolves team feel so different through seven games compared to last year's team. Okay. okay. And I have uh, six slices of pie to divvy up in this pie chart of praise. Okay. Do you want me to just like, you stop me whenever you want. I'll just kind of go through these. You just interject. And if you want to. Take a bite of one of the slices of pie and dive deeper. You're welcome to do that. Okay. Love it. Okay. So we'll start with uh, 8%. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. To Chris Finch. I think. Finchy. And you might argue that, I mean, he's the culture builder guy, so he should probably get more of this. But, you know, he gets 8% for this exercise. Players clearly are bought into him. You already kind of mentioned, the, I think it was Gobert that, uh, that talked last night about how Finch and the coaching staff haven't been shy throughout the last year about checking guys. Hey, you got to do this differently. Hey, this is how you can improve in this area. 
or you're not doing enough to help the team in this area that sometimes I feel like NBA coaches can walk on eggshells because it's such a players run league and you're worried about God, if I offend the $50 million player, is he going to pull a James Harden and make my life miserable? But it seems like Finch has a good enough. He's a player's coach enough to be able to sort of communicate on that level, but there's a gap and they respect him. So he, he seems to have found a sweet spot in being able to get after guys but the guys still buy in and and think very highly of him. He he's like the love child of Tom Thibodeau and Ryan Saunders. Yeah. Like he if in the Venn diagram of those two coaching philosophies, he's in the middle because Tibbs was hard-nosed, played Go! his guys. Switch! Yeah. Switch! And was known for being a defensive coach. Uh you have Finch coaching the best defense in the league. And then on the Ryan Saunders side, when they went from Tibbs to to Ryan, it's like he was so pro player, and the players yep. did love that. And you you know, it's kind of like when you have a really hard teacher or whatever, and then you get like a easy teacher. Like they kind of needed that to balance it out. And now they've found, you know, hot porridge, cold porridge. They've found kind of the right temp to have a coach that, and who's not perfect, by the way. Like you can be pro Finchy, but be like, yeah, you know, rotation's a little weird. Or I mean, I think he's he has to listen to the show because his timeouts have been impactful on on point but and the, uh, the communication in the timeouts too i don't know what they're saying but clearly something's working yeah i mean they basically replaced bad chris finch with new chris finch after that atlanta game but uh yeah i think eight <laughs> percent i i do think again and this is more just things i hear and stuff just the players really love them and these practices and these road trips and just when they're not on camera or they're not on the court they're treating this like a real i know this sounds so stupid because these guys make millions of dollars but they're treating it like a real profession, and they're handling it like a job. And I don't think all 30 teams in the league can always say that. And I love that because I just think the NBA, I mean, I've ridiculed them up and down, but I just think the league has gotten away from, I mean, Adam Silver said the other day, like, I want our players to remember this is a business. Like, this is their job, and they treat it like a job in Minnesota right now, and a lot of that goes to Finch. Yeah, and they, but they look like they're having, most of them look like they're having a really good time at their job. There is still <laughs> one guy, eh, we don't have to go down this path, but that looks like even when he's having a good game, doesn't look like he's having a ton of fun. But uh, 12%, my next slice, to Mike Conley replacing D'Angelo Russell, and you're getting him for a full season. So he's just like, he's the quintessential floor general. You know, it's like a mm -hmm. cliche term, but he's out there. He's he's out there to make sure everybody else gets theirs. And mm -hmm. D'Lo was out there. Just I think D'Lo thought he was Kobe Bryant sometimes, but he wasn't. Conley also just brings a calmness. He's not mocking his teammates. Like Gobert feels comfortable around him too. I think part of the reason why Gobert's performance has gone up a tick is because. He loves and trusts Mike Conley. There was clearly a distrust between Gobert and D'Angelo Russell before D'Lo got traded, but we talk about, like, big trade heists in the NBA. Dude, the Timberwolves traded two months of D'Lo's expiring contract for Mike Conley, which straight up is just a great trade because you get a year and a half Mike Conley. Nikhil Alexander-Walker and then the draft capital that led you to Leonard Miller, who's going to take over probably a starting role at some point in the next two or three years. Yeah, and I remember, I remember on Purple Daily, which is the greatest football podcast of all time, but covering the Vikings, when you did that thing a couple of months ago, we are like, what was Quezzy, the, the GM of the team, what was like his second best move? I was just thinking about that in general now, now that the Gobert trade looks better. Again, I will still say it was an overpay, but it's clearly the right move, and you got a guy, and I'll, I'll get into some culture stuff with him in a sec, but what are like the three or four moves now that you would be like, that was Tim Connolly's doing? The Gobert trade? looks better than ever, and they have the best defense. 
the the Russell for Conley plus Na plus Leonard Miller swap. That's one of the best trades in Wolves franchise history. And then, you know, re-signing Nas. And then if you don't want to give him credit for that because he's on the team, well, then the third one is signing Kyle Anderson, who has to retire a Timberwolf. So he hasn't, now that the Gobert trade looks different, or at least for the last couple of weeks, he hasn't missed. He's leaned into Finch. He's leaned into the culture. He's beloved behind the scenes. He's extended all the right guys yeah. at the right number. So, and then back to the Mike Conley stuff, I, I want to pivot. Like Anthony Edwards' career so far for these first four years has like has like some Pete Davidson dating relationship history to it. Like they've made sure, and I love this. They've put Ant next to a really important point guard every year of his career. It was Rubio the first year, D'Lo. Pat Bev and now Mike Conley. It's something if you're concerned about moving forward, like, are they going to be able to keep Mike and Kyle? I don't know. But having, I mean, the the list of point guards that Ant has played alongside in that backcourt have all been really, really good or provided extreme value. I even think playing alongside D'Lo for a while freed Ant up to be more creative with his Mm -hmm. passing and his playmaking. So that's another thing moving forward. Like, I don't think you can just put I never loved the idea of point ant. I think you got to have some sort of floor general out there next to him. And he's always had a floor general. Those are four of the most floor general point guards in the league. So I think that's something to monitor moving forward. But right now, Mike Conley, you couldn't create in a lab a better point guard to play next to him. Bite, bite. Yeah. At some <laughs> bite, bite. I'm sure those shirts are being, is, is our guy Jake Scraps? Is he all, is he all over the bite, bite shirts yet? Does I loved how Alan Horton way. asked Mike Conley last night, like about that nickname. And, uh, Mike was just like, I've never heard that before. He's never called me. And I guess Ant was <laughs> laughing in the locker room after, like, just Ant can say whatever and the team will embrace it. So it's going to be. But for now, shirt. it's bite, bite. Okay, 15%. My third slice of pie here, pie shutter price. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. Is playmaking Anthony Edwards. Ooh, so yeah. he is, he's figuring out how to draw defenders, I think, intentionally now. Like, it's not just, oh, defenders are on me. Now I got to look and pass. Like, it's it's bang, bang. It's drive in. I know this guy's going to come here, so I'm going to go here. Jade McDaniels is open. He looks like he revels in those situations and opportunities. And to me, that's what separates, like, a really good young shooting guard who can get 25 or 30 points but might play on losing teams from the elite players in the NBA that can go get their 25, 30 points that help the team, but then they can unlock a bunch of open shots by understanding what their presence does to a defense. He is starting to see that matrix now for the first time in his career, very clearly and very slowly. And I think it's a huge reason why this team looks a lot better than one year ago. He had a couple different plays last night. Credit to Finch again for kind of calling these sets out, but kind of right side pick and roll, where he would, the action would mostly be with Rudy, and then he would immediately ant. If Rudy would kind of crash the basket, ant would throw this cross court pass to the corner. Mike Conley caught one, open three, hit it. Carl caught one, not a great pass, but Carl kind of caught it, shuffled his feet, hit the three. That's the type of stuff, man. And uh, just to shout out Jake Painting, who at Howls and Growls, he did like a five minute YouTube video today. That stuff's unguardable. And that, like, again, going back to why are you optimistic, they're really there's ways to adjust your coverages from the defensive side and stuff. But when you start having Ant be able to just throw these cross court passes to guys that are really good shooters, like Mike, like Jaden, like Carl, maybe shake. That's uh, LeBron's whole career, dude. It's it's drive, suck the defense in spin cycle. Right. And I mean, and in year two, I remember this and specifically his sophomore season, we kept saying like, okay, he it's only year two, but like we might have a, a guy here that can score with the best of them. 
but that doesn't, you know, Jordan Poole can score with the best of them. Um, can you facilitate? If I, I know Dane Moore was always over this. Like, if, if you can become a playmaker and average yep. six assists a game, that's when you become a superstar. That's when you become top 10 player in the league. And he had eight assists last night. Like, he's looking for other guys. And to your point, it's not manufactured. It's just natural. It's just like, oh, this is the play. Like, Rudy's not open on the roll. I kick it over to the corner. It's a three. He had another pass to Nas Reed where... And had his hands up already. He was almost defending Nas in the moment. Like, he had his hands up because he knew Nas was going to make the three. So if he continues to show those playmaking abilities and that trust, the trust is the big thing, sky's the limit for for this offense. Okay, another 15% goes to... So I gave 15% to playmaking Anthony Edwards. Now we're going 15% to efficiency Anthony Edwards. Okay. So if you've noticed here, I don't want to jinx anything, but we're not getting the four for 17 performances anymore. He had... Last year, he had, I want to say, 20 or 22 games in which he shot below 40% from the field. And a lot of those were like below 30% where he's just, he do, he's clearly not feeling it, but he doesn't know when to stop and just get other guys involved. And it turns into a five for 21 train wreck. And maybe he still gets 21 points, but, you know, you only get a certain amount of shots in an NBA game because the clock is running. And if you're taking up 21 shots to hit only six of them, like you're probably not going to put up a lot of points this year. His field goal percentage is up five percentage points. His three-point percentage is up seven percentage points. Some of this is going to level out a little bit. His effective field goal percentage, which encompasses all of your shooting and context, up five percentage points. Free throws, the percentage is up. I'd like to see more trips to the line. At the rim, in the lane, mid-range, all those percentages up, up, up from last year and from his career in the first three years. So, like, he's just... And he talks about it too. He, I think he understands. He even made a comment like the, a couple games ago, like, okay, I felt like my shot was off, but 50%, okay, 50%. That's pretty, like, he understands the, the, he's not like obsessing, I don't think, over statistics quarter by quarter, but I think he understands that I got to shoot closer to 50% than 29% in order for us to be winning some of these games. If I can harken back to that, that random afternoon when I played a little blackjack with him and his friends in Vegas, which was, one of the weirder, just random things I've ever done. But uh, I said this with just true love and like admiration, but I remember saying like, he still doesn't really know a lot. And I'm never going to say the word dumb, but I, when I say the word dumb sometimes of things, it's like a compliment. But it's like, he doesn't even know yet what he doesn't know. And back to your efficiency stuff, like I don't, when would he have ever really picked up the importance of that? Not in college at Georgia or like those first couple of early years here. And I think that's another reason why you would be just so bullish on him as a stock is that, you know, he's clearly outperforming his age as a 22-year-old. And I know people go back and forth. If you're 22, are you a kid? Are you a young adult? I still think he's a kid, really. And he's just, if three years from now, he's just what you just said, taking all those different little charts and gotten better in each of them. Mm-hmm. What's he going to look like when he's Tatum's age, Dude. right? Like he's going to know the importance of that. He's going to know the importance and the, the, the points per possession and the value of these different shots. So I say all of that to be like, I don't think he knows a lot yet about the game, but I, it's with admiration and respect of like, just imagine when he does. It's going to yeah, be he's, he's getting incredible. There. You can and, tell he's... Oh, and he's starting to figure it out. Yeah, he's starting to realize, and that goes back to the trust, the passing thing. When he says things like, when I'm having an off night, my teammates still trust me. So for him to do the same thing, uh, I mean, we might have to get to a point here if they win eight, nine in a row, where we have to just make up things to criticize him for, but... yeah. Uh, you know, a couple turnovers last night, but he's trying to still figure out the playmaking role. But 
he is about as good of a first overall pick. I saw a comp today about like Paul Bencaro and Wemby and Ant and Cade Cunningham. I mean, he's about as he's about as good of a total package of a first overall pick as you can hope for. And this guy's the limit for that kid. And it's been awesome to to watch him grow in all those different areas. So he's two years older than Wemby, right? With Wemby's twenty. Yeah. Nineteen turn twenty. Yeah. And Ant's twenty two. And I get that Ant obviously Ant is he's in his fourth year in the NBA. So Wemby's like Wemby's gonna get better and he's gonna get a little bigger and stuff. If someone said it right now, okay, you can either take the next ten years of Ant's career or you get ten years of Wemby. So right now Ant is better, but but you get a ten year window of Ant or a ten year window of Wemby. Well, I don't know if you saw this, but uh remember Nate Silver? Mm-hmm. He- he quote tweeted the uh, ESPN did the top 25 under 25 and they had Luca one Ant two Wemby three and Nate Silver quote tweeted and said that uh, the Wolves would trade Ant for Wemby straight up in a heartbeat oh wow and uh, I'm trying to not engage with people like that on the internet anymore after my KOC debacle but uh, I couldn't stop thinking like I don't know Nate I can think of about 538 reasons that they wouldn't do that <laughs> but I don't what, what the Wemby, the sky's the limit, and his ability to block shots and defend, we've just truly never seen. I mean, he's taller than Kevin Garnett, but he just reminds me of Kevin Garnett when he came in. We've never seen it. But we've also never seen it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we haven't seen it for more than five or six games. We've now seen yeah. Ant play a couple hundred games, and what area of his overall makeup is lacking? Not the personality, not the leadership, not the on-court stuff, not the off-court stuff. So... No, I mean, this is a homer thing too, but is it that much of a homer? Because ESPN just said it too. They had him ranked over Wemby. The next 10 years, I'm taking Ant because I think I've I seen too, it. man. He's a freight train. He seems durable. He's, I'll take the six foot six, six foot seven, you know, 200 whatever pound freight train who can shoot, get to the rim, make plays. And I don't know. I think durability is a question for anyone who's that tall too. Mm-hmm. Just foot problems, different things, knees and stuff. Uh, two more slices for you, and then we'll get to a the Rock knows random Timberwolf. Pie. 20% to vintage Rudy Gobert. He's back, dude. This is, they went, they made that trade. Maybe they got like the generic allergy medication. Like sometimes, you know, <laughs> I, I need my seasonal allergy med, so I get my Allegra. And then if I get like the unlabeled version because it's cheaper, I always kind of regret it. I'm like, I'm sneezing. Just get, just get the name brand. They thought they were getting name brand Rudy last year, but someone swapped in like a generic version. He, he, I don't know if he wasn't comfortable coming off the knee injury, the FIBA stuff, you know, just not being comfortable with teammates, D'Lo, whatever it was, system. But man, like he leads the league in defensive rating. He leads the league in rebounds again. The Wolves have given up the fewest layups in the NBA so far this year because Jason Tatum did it too. How many times have you seen a drive go in and oop, U-turn? I don't want to deal with that guy standing there 35 minutes a night. So I just, I, I, man, this is anecdotal, but I feel like last year opposing teams were like genuinely going in and trying to posterize Rudy every single night because they knew that he wasn't the same guy. You did see Jalen Brown get him for one uh, in that Celtics game the other night early. But I feel like the league is recognizing, oh, this is like the Utah Rudy Gobert and they're not challenging him as much at the rim as they were the beginning part of last year. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just wrong in no, thinking about this. I- We'll never know this, uh, but I've gone friendly, politely. I've gone back and forth with Dane more about this because Dane's always been more Rudy wasn't as comfortable with his teammates and the system, new team, new city, and he's right on all that stuff. But I just I think Rudy Gobert had a bad back. I think he had. I mean, we focused on the knees because he wears these knee braces that are the size of 
grocery bags, but <laughs> I, I think he had a bad back, and that's what I'm going to stick it to. And then it lowered his confidence. I mean, he was, if you want to talk about off-the-court stuff, he's one of, like, he was just, like, literally blocking everyone on Twitter and just a lot of weird stuff on social media. And now I saw last night, like, he has a, I don't know, like a group chat on Instagram that you can, if you follow him, you can, like, subscribe to. And after games, we're all in a group chat, and he'll, like, send little voice messages and stuff. What? It's, uh, dude. How do I become part of this? <laughs> Go follow Rudy Gobert on Instagram. I can't believe I just said that sentence. What? But he is, like, the one who I do likes, follow him. He likes all the all the posts on the team. He's commenting on things. Uh, Ant posts. Rudy will just comment, like, Sack Jones which is like, oh my God, we got we got Rudy saying Sack Jones now. So, yes, I think this is Utah Rudy again. Also, too, on Tuesday I called out that play right where Ant kicked it to Jaden in the corner. Jaden hits a three. Ant showed real strong leadership. There was a play last night where, and you're gonna love this because it's all about culture. But I think Ant had a turnover uh, mid court, maybe in the offensive set. Uh, Pelicans go back in transition, and Ant sprints back, and it was one of his LeBron James esque. Mm-hmm. just jump high get the block and after that block i can't remember if the ball went out of bounds or what the deal was but then a couple seconds later and it showed on the on the screen like him and rudy talking about that and dapping it up and doing their handshake and it's like okay mm-hmm. is rudy gobert i know we didn't have him in our leadership power rankings but like is his we did love, we, I think we, we did maybe we didn't have him high enough like is yeah. his love for defense we're giving a lot of credit to finch and their length but how much of this is about rudy like is if if Rudy Gobert, in his tenure in Minnesota, however long that lasts, is the reason or one of the reasons that Ant embraces playing defense, we need to add that back into the formula of deciding if the trade was good or not. Yeah. Because if Rudy makes Ant a better defender Culture and makes guy. him understand it, we need to acknowledge that. Culture guy. And that brings us to the last slice here, six slices. The Rock knows how you feel about pie. I'll just, it'll, it'll be a quick one, then we'll get to random uh, Timberwolf here. But it's 30%. It's the biggest slice to the Wolves winning the Gobert Cat Minutes this season. So last year, the Wolves had a minus net rating. It was like, a, I think if you take playoffs and then pre and post injury, it was like a minus five or something points per 100 possessions when those two guys were on the court together, which is like hugely problematic because... They ha- they're going to mathematically, they're going to have to play like 20 minutes, 18, 16, 18, 20 minutes together, right? This year, seven games. Okay. But that's like a tenth of the schedule. There are plus 11 points net rating per 100 possessions when they're on the court together. That is huge. And that also includes a slow start offensively for Cat. If Cat knocks down a few open threes in some of those games, that number is even higher. So again, if this doesn't work, if those guys can't play together, then. There's not like, oh, we're going to move Cat to like a 15 minutes a night roll. Like that that does not exist as a counter move. So they have to be able to coexist on the floor and not just break even. They have to be positive uh, net rating value. And they are so far through seven games. So and, 30% to those guys is the biggest slice. I shouted them out already, but go back and watch this five and a half minute Howls and Growls video because there is a play that Jake Painting highlighted where, and you'll remember this, where I think Rudy and Carl ran a pick and roll at the top. And Rudy cut, and Carl had the perfect loft on this pass right over Valanciunas' head to Rudy, and Rudy would have mm-hmm. had an easy dunk. Rudy's stone hands kind of came back into the picture for a second, and he dropped it, went out of bounds. 
But it's like those little things that I think Jake referenced, I'd rather have the process be good than the result right now. The process on that was really good. They're having Rudy do all these different setting screens outside the paint to keep the paint open. Um, Kyle Anderson had that crazy kind of pick and roll with Rudy where Carl was in the corner and then cut back door for a lob dunk. They're starting to figure it out. The numbers are backing it up. I know Carl, (laughs) I know he fouled out in a game that they won by 30. Maybe we can talk about that next week. I, I, Last night, found myself empathizing a little bit that he just gets a weird whistle. Even sometimes he deserves it, but sometimes, like, I don't know, man. I've never seen James Harden get called for the same thing over and over again. But there's still so much meat on that bone, Phil, but they're starting to kind of figure it out. And that's just another thing of, like, we said this in the offseason. If if that experiment works, and now we've seen all the other stuff that we know, like, we with a gun, we know Nas and Jaden and Ant are going to be good. If the Rudy and Cat stuff works, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, it's going to be intoxicating for a lot of people consuming this. Just to bring it full circle, if it works, maybe the Wolves are this year's Denver Nuggets, huh? There we go. All right, we're going to debut a new segment here on Flagrant Howls. We're going to bring our guy, Producer Ross, in. Ross, you can let yourself in the room here. Producer Ross is here here for a random Timberwolf of the week. We do this on Purple Daily. We do this on the Scornart Twin Show. We're going to do it now on Flagrant Howls. Phil versus Kyle in a battle of Wolves historical wits. Let's debut it and hope to do it again. You boys ready? <laughs> this yes. might train wreck, and Kyle's going to get it like halfway through the first clue, and I'm going to be that. <laughs> well, and who knows how I did with the clues, so we'll see. This Wolf of the Week, gentlemen. Well, and I should, I should explain parameters here, by the way. Okay. Yeah. So we get uh, – you shout. Ross is going to give a series of clues, so however many clues he has. If you think you know the answer, just shout out the guess. That'll be your buzzer. Just shout out the guess. Kevin Garnett. All right. We get up to three strikes each. So if I if I try three times, Kevin Garnett, Kevin Garnett, Kevin Garnett. Okay. And I hit a third strike, Kyle wins and vice versa. Okay. Got it. So you got you can't just ambush somebody with a million guesses. You gotta be strategic. Uh, we can ask Ross questions too, but he can refuse to answer because it's his game and uh, he's giving the clues. All right. Okay, and sorry, well, Phil, the game's over because it was Kevin Garnett. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I remember him. <laughs> All right, here we go. This Wolf of the Week attended Mount Carmel High School in the Chicagoland area. This Wolf of the Week is a three-time NBA All-Star. Okay. Give us, a, give us like this... 10 seconds between. Give us like 10 seconds between. Okay. This week. Got it. And just the awkward silence. Just no. Kidding. This is where this is. Yeah. No, we need silence. This, we need to think. Hold on. This wolf of the week played college basketball for Rick Pitino. Okay, hold on. Give us give us like ten seconds here. Yeah, this is so hard because like I don't even. I've been in my new job for six months. I don't even know everyone's name. I'm not really good with names or historic <laughs> moments. But uh, okay, so Mount Carmel High School sounds delicious. Chicago. Played for Rick Pitino, three-time, three-time All-Star. All-Star. So he played at Iona? Is that what you're saying? Well, we'll see. I, I think Phil is that where Pitino was coaching at Iona last? He's still there. Is he still at Iona? Okay. Still there. So This Wolf of the Week was oh. a McDonald's All-American. You know it. In 1994. Marcus Camby is... Not correct. Did he play for the Wolves? I don't, I don't think, think I don't he think did so. play for the Wolves. Good, good guess, like, though. Did he pass through as like a – because KG had like 43 random big men that played next to him. But Maybe. I'm thinking on our top 200 Wolves I list, I didn't see Marcus so Camby. <laughs> didn't he play for Rick Pitino at uh, UMass? 
he did play at UMass. I'm thinking Rick Pitino at Louisville, but I'm I'm struggling here. So, Ross, you got any more clues? Oh, plenty of them. This wolf of the week was the sixth overall pick in the 1996 NBA draft. Oh, oh. uh... Say it. Say it with your chest. Wait. No. Hold on. Well, that's a huge clue. 1996? (laughs) It's not Michael Ola Candy. No, that he was is incorrect. Well, that, that's going to count as a guess. Yeah, that's fine. I, I'm so. He was bad the first though. overall pick in the 1990s. So the sixth overall pick back in the 96 draft. God. Oh my God, people are screaming right now. This Wolf is of the week played in just 46 games for the Minnesota Timberwolves, starting one of them. <laughs> this is great podcasting. Oh I am God, dude. Maybe the dumbest person on the internet. Phil, can the you save us? By the way, we're competing against each other. I know, so. but like, I just need, I need you for the listeners. I need you to it's save It's going to come down to Ross giving like initials. And it no, rhymes there's, with. No, yeah. There's a few easy ones coming up, I think. In May of 2010, this Wolf of the Week filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Oh, my God. Antoine Walker. God, oh, my God. Nice job, dude. Oh, oh, son of a... He got it. Ah. Financials is where you get me. I, yeah, Antoine... Antoine Walker. We were getting dangerously Mm. close to this wolf of the week shares a name with a popular TV ranger. Oh, that's a good one, Walker, Texas. (laughs) I see. That would have been your final clue. Good work, Kyle. I wonder if Antoine Walker played. He had multiple stints with the Celtics. I think Rick Pitino was maybe there during one of those stints. Okay, that comes full circle. It's funny that Ross gave us a bunch of really smart basketball Clues and everyone listening to this in their cars was like they oh, knew it. The and then it's like, of bankruptcy. Who was the guy that ran out of money? And <laughs> I, Kyle's like, yeah, that guy. So I he was a wait. Kentucky. He was a Kentucky guy, right? Antoine Walker. Kentucky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can't wait for everybody to when Phil says Marcus Camby for everybody to go. Wait, <laughs> Marcus Camby passed through Minnesota. Doesn't it feel like he kind of did? Like toward the end. I don't of his know, career? man. We did. We did the top two hundred wolves. I'm pretty sure Marcus Camby would have been in there. So <laughs> Calvin Calvin Booth passed through, right? He was an assistant. Yep. Did he play yep. too? Uh, he was. De- they definitely took on his contract at one point. I can't remember if he played. Well, there you that go. That was fun. There you the go, inaugural, so. very first Wolf of nice the Week. Nice job. Roscoe, great Kyle. job with those clues. Thanks, boys. Marcus Camby, by the way, played uh, He played for every other team. except for, He played for like seven teams. Denver, Knicks, Toronto, Portland, Clippers, Houston. For we some reason, it. I thought his contract, like they had a bunch of years where they were taking on contracts. And, and hell, Antoine Walker was one of those guys, too. So. We got to come up with a. I was telling you earlier this morning, like if the Wolves keep winning games, I don't know if we can just do podcasts about the game. We might just have to start having like seances and stuff. But maybe just one episode where we just go random Wolf of the Week, like five different ones with like Jim Pete, because that's oh. how Jim Jim was loving the retro throwback last night more than anyone, and yeah. talking about the first president of the team and his agent. I mean, I could. Jeff Munichy, Jim Pete, like I just want those guys to tell me stories about the '90s. Just like, well, let's like, do it, know, dude. What players were smoking cigarettes at halftime? That would be we're great. overdue to get Jim Pete back on. We're overdue to get our guy Kilby back on at some point. Become like nightly, nightly Wolves text thread buddies with these guys too. Where it's <laughs> like, you know, what, what do you guys think? This is great, right? It's the best season in 20 years. And so, hey, great episode. Uh, yeah. hope, hopefully you start to feel better from your uh, COVID and salmonella month of November here. It's been a great I will I will continue to be sick if the Wolves want to keep winning games. Like I said, I don't think they've won more than seven games in a row for, I don't know, 15 some years. 
So they have a chance. This road trip's going to be really hard. They have some, they play the Suns, play the Warriors, play the Spurs. Uh, but they took care of business at home. They did yesterday what many Wolves teams of the past have never done, and that's thoroughly handle a bad team with a little showtime mixed in in that third and fourth quarter. So vibes are high. Stock is, you know, up. But uh, got to keep stacking wins, like Finchie says. This it doesn't really mean anything if you did it on a Wednesday. Can you do it two Wednesdays from now as well? Yeah, go get the uh, go get the first win of the NBA in season playoff. Let's tournament go, baby! Here. Let's get to Vegas. Get get to Vegas, man! All right, that's Kyle. Please hit us up on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify with a five star rating and a positive review as we look to spread the word about this Timberwolves lifestyle podcast. And on the Scornorth YouTube channel, if you could click the subscribe button and the like button, and even the bell notification button, which is over here, I believe, uh, on your screen. You can be alerted whenever we pump out new Minnesota sports content. For Kyle, I'm Phil, and this is your favorite Timberwolves lifestyle podcast, Flagrant Howls.